98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Two pro-democracy lawmakers are bailed after their arrests over a protest and last year's yearn-long outrage. Police Chief Chris Tang denies the forces attempting to rewrite history with its new version of events in Yunlong, and mainland authorities reportedly catch a group of Hong Kong activists trying to flee to Taiwan by boat. Democratic Party legislators Ted Hoy and Lam Chuk Ting have been released on bail after their arrests over a protest in Tunmun last year and the Yunlong gang attack. Mr Lam is accused of rioting during the mob violence on July the 21st last year. Wendy Wong has, deta- has details. Lam Chua Teng and six others were brought before West Kowloon Court, charged with rioting. Prosecutors alleged the rioting took place on the concourse of Yunlong MTR station and said police are still looking for around another 20 people. The legislator was ordered to surrender his travel documents and report regularly to a police station. The case was adjourned until the 12th of October, with police saying they need more time for their investigation. The riot is alleged to have taken place at a time when a gang of men rampaged through Yunlong Station, beating people at random and putting dozens in hospital. Police did not intervene in the attack despite a flood of 999 calls. After the hearing, Mr Lam said the Justice Secretary has launched a politically motivated prosecution against them. I believe that the government tried their very best to rewrite the history of the Yunlong attack. The prosecution against me and the other defendants are too ugly and evil, even in terms of Theresa Chen's standard. Meanwhile, Police Commissioner Chris Tang has rejected claims that the force is trying to rewrite history with his new description of the Yunlong violence as a fight between two equally matched sides. At a media briefing, he was repeatedly asked whether the police could admit that it was actually an indiscriminate attack on innocent rail passengers by a mob of men armed with sticks and other weapons. We as the police, we do not have any intent to write or rewrite any history. History will judge itself. We are based on facts and we are based on evidence. Lam Teng and fellow Democrat Ted Hoi also faced charges relating to a protest outside Tunmun Police Station on July the 6th last year. Along with two others, they were accused of being involved in an incident where a man's phone was allegedly snatched and pictures of protesters deleted. All four were released on bail after a court hearing, with Mr Hoy describing the case against them as unfounded. The Journalists Association has accused the police of attempting to strangle press freedom after a senior superintendent repeatedly questioned journalist professionalism and impartiality at a media briefing yesterday. The association also noted that police had displayed images from two media outlets during its briefing without seeking prior approval. The police said they were in a hurry. But the association said this was not the first time it had happened and urged the force to keep its own promise to seek permission before making use of any footage or images. Media reports say a group of around a dozen people intercepted on a boat by Guangdong authorities earlier this week are Hong Kong activists who were trying to flee to Taiwan. One is reported to be a suspect for a national security offence. Priscilla Ng has more. Guangdong's Coast Guard said on its Weibo account that it had intercepted a speedboat in mainland waters southeast of Hong Kong on Sunday, arresting more than 10 people for alleged illegal entry. It said one was a man surnamed Lee and another a man surnamed Tang. 
Radio Free Asia says there were 12 Hong Kong people on the boat and they were heading to Taiwan. It says one is believed to be Andy Lee, a member of advocacy group Hong Kong Story, who was arrested and released on bail earlier this month. Police suspect him of violating the new national security law by colluding with foreign forces. Radio Free Asia says that also on the boat were activists who had participated in anti-government protests. Police say they haven't been formally notified of any arrests of Hong Kong people, but they will follow up on the matter. Next year's Hong Kong Marathon is being postponed. The Amateur Athletic Association says that the decision has been taken to put back the event because of uncertainty around the COVID-19 outbreak situation. The annual race was originally scheduled for the 24th of January. Organisers say they're working with relevant departments to determine an alternative date. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is 5 minutes past 11. The news website Hong Kong Free Press says that the authorities have denied a work visa to an Irish journalist it was hoping to employ. Aaron McNicholas had been in the SAR for some time, previously working at Bloomberg and Storyful. Vicky Wong reports. Hong Kong Free Press says the Immigration Department hasn't provided an official reason for rejecting Mr McNicholas's visa after they waited for almost six months. The journalist is well known for his coverage of last year's anti-government protests. Hong Kong Free Press says it is being targeted under the national security law. Cedric Alviani, who heads the East Asia Bureau of Reporters Without Borders, says the visa rejection is another sign of an acceleration of the decline of press freedom in Hong Kong since the law came into effect on the last day of June. Last month, the New York Times said it was moving a third of its Hong Kong-based personnel to South Korea because of concerns over the security law and sudden difficulties in obtaining visas for members of staff. The Foreign Correspondence Club also said recently that multiple news outlets were facing highly unusual visa delays. The Immigration Department has not responded to media inquiries about Mr McNicholas's case. School principals say officials have told them that classes could resume from as soon as the middle of next month if the coronavirus situation allows. The news follows talks this afternoon. Jimmy Choi has more. Principals who attended a meeting with the Education Secretary, Kevin Young, say officials are leaning towards allowing schools to reopen in phases. Helena Poon, the chairwoman of the Hong Kong Subsidized Secondary Schools Council, quoted officials as saying that classes would not resume before September the 14th and schools would be given two or three weeks' notice to prepare. The Bureau is understood to want to open primary and secondary schools at the same time, but with pupils in different years attending at different times. Pupils are expected to attend class for only half the day initially. Schooling has been disrupted throughout the coronavirus pandemic, with schools remaining closed from the Lunar New Year holiday in January until late May. They were forced to close early for the summer holidays last month due to a spike in coronavirus cases. The government is urging people to continue to wear face masks as much as possible when they're out and about, despite a relaxation of the rules from tomorrow. People taking part in exercise or visiting country parks will no longer need to wear masks. But the Undersecretary for Health, Choi Tak Yee, says people should not ignore the risk of infection with coronavirus. He also says the government will keep a close eye on the situation to see when other restrictions can be eased. 
balancing the downward trend of number of new cases and also the issue of fatigue. So I think the government has decided to slowly introduce some relaxation in some of the premises or some of the activities. So that is the principle. Of course, we will be very closely monitoring the situation, especially the number of new cases in the near, uh, say, one week when these new measures have been implemented. We will not hesitate to tighten if there's any obvious or significant worsening of the situation. 21 new COVID-19 infections have been recorded in the SAR today. Another two elderly coronavirus patients have died, taking the total so far to 81. Doctors are being urged to use video conferencing technology to provide consultations for elderly patients with dementia or chronic conditions. Experts from the Chinese University say such patients appear to be extra vulnerable to the coronavirus, so it would be better for them not to have to venture out of their homes so much. Maggie Ho reports. The experts cite data from the UK which suggests there's a higher mortality rate among elderly coronavirus patients who also suffer from conditions such as dementia, diabetes or heart disease. They say Hong Kong figures point to a similar trend, although the sample pool here is too small to come to a definite conclusion just yet. But going on the overseas data, they say so-called telemedicine would be a good way to reduce patients' risk of exposure to COVID-19. One of the doctors on the team, Lisa Au, acknowledges that video conferencing alone can't be used to access all diseases adequately. Of course, there are some diseases that we cannot just uh, through video conferencing and uh, assess adequately. But uh, there are also a vast majority of uh, symptoms uh, or disease that we can offer uh, some um, medical recommendations uh, as well as uh, by just talking to the caregivers through video conferencing to um, lessen their stress during this uh, time. The experts also advise that elderly patients with chronic conditions should still try to remain physically active to maintain their well-being. University of Hong Kong researchers have warned that a lack of avenues for young people to express their views could result in them resorting to violence and aggression. Priscilla Ng reports. Researchers conducted a study against the backdrop of the anti-government protests last year, which polarized society and left people resentful and distrustful of the government. More than 700 people aged between 15 and 25 were interviewed between January and April. According to the study, they treasured universal values such as democracy and freedom of expression. Researchers also found that around 40% were supportive of violent protests. Dr. Celia Chan of the university's Department of Social Work and Social Administration explains what the findings mean. It's not a mutually exclusive concept when people or when the citizens, they are trying to express themselves in a way that they will try to support the actions which are um, non-violent and legal. But unfortunately, if the city um, cannot allow uh, or facilitate changes, and later on, the people will be pushed to a violence or even some uh, illegal action. Dr. Chen adds that many youngsters reported experiencing stress and trauma-related symptoms as a result of the social movement. More than 20% said they had severe to extremely severe levels of depression, while a quarter reported suffering from severe to extremely severe levels of anxiety. 
Dr. Chen warns that a lack of avenues for young people to channel their feelings, emotions, and demands in a legal manner could lead to dire and unimaginable consequences. Whenever our youth, our adolescents express themselves, maybe the channel will be、uh, blocked, and so that may be a blockage for them to express their concerns or even to facilitate to advocate the social change. If that's the case, people will go to be very、um, to be very suppressed, and maybe that will form another critical mass, and we cannot predict because we can we don't have a crystal ball, and we really cannot predict. What happened in the future? We always say that when anger turns inwards, that will lead to depression. But when anger turns outward, that may lead to aggression. Dr. Chen urged the administration to adopt an open-minded attitude when dealing with the suggestions and demands raised by young people, and to establish emotional support networks to help those who are experiencing emotional problems. A typhoon has uprooted trees in North Korea and dumped heavy rain on land, which has already seen widespread flooding this month. State television has interrupted its regular broadcasts to give updates. This report from the BBC's Laura Becker. North Korea was on high alert as Typhoon Bavi made landfall. Leader Kim Jong Un had issued a warning to try to prevent crop damage and casualties. Throughout the night, state television showed downed trees, debris on roads, and flooded streets. Analysts believe it may be the first time broadcasters in the country have taken this step. North Korea is already reeling from one of the worst monsoon seasons on record, and the economic effects of blocking its borders to prevent the spread of coronavirus. With nearly 10 million people malnourished and living harvest to harvest, it can ill afford further crop damage. The chief executive officer of the mainland-owned video app TikTok has resigned three months after taking up the job. Kevin Mayer told employees that the political environment had changed sharply in recent weeks. More from the BBC's Karishma Vazwani. President Trump claims TikTok is a national security threat because of who it's owned by, the Chinese internet firm ByteDance. Earlier this month, he signed an executive order that would effectively ban TikTok's operations in the U.S. if it wasn't sold to another company by mid-September. All of this is unlikely what Mr. Mayer signed up for when he left Walt Disney to take on the role at TikTok. In a statement to the BBC, TikTok confirmed the abrupt departure and referenced the political dynamics of the last few months. TikTok also said it appreciated that this meant the scope of Mr. Mayer's role would change going forward, and that it fully respected his decision. A reminder of our top stories tonight: two pro-democracy lawmakers and several other people are bailed after their arrests over a protest and last year's Yuen Long outrage. Police Chief Chris Tang denies the forces attempting to rewrite history with its new version of events in Yuen Long. And mainland authorities reportedly catch a group of Hong Kong activists trying to flee to Taiwan by boat. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio Three. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap program. A white supremacist who killed 51 people at two mosques in New Zealand will serve life in jail without parole. The first person in the country's history to receive the sentence. Australian Brenton Tarrant, 29, admitted to the murder of 51 people, attempted murder of another 40 people, and one charge of terrorism. The attack last March, which was live streamed, shocked the world. Our Australia correspondent Jerry Gannon told Anna Marie Evans. 
This was the first time a New Zealand court had meted out a life sentence without any possibility of parole. It is a savage act of terrorism, an act that was carefully planned, an act that caused this guy to come from Australia to New Zealand, particularly to carry out an atrocity like this. 91 survivors and relatives um, were in court over the past couple of days describing the pain that uh, he'd inflicted on the Muslim community. Now, life imprisonment normally in New Zealand is 10 years before eligible for parole, but this judge imposed, Judge Cameron Mander, imposed life without parole, plus he also added a number of, of other um, 50, in addition to the 51 counts of murder for which he was sentenced, he's also been sentenced for 40 counts of wounding. He was sentenced to 12 years to be served concurrently, and he also added a term of life for committing what is now a, a terrorist act. So, as you say, he is the first person in New Zealand to be sentenced to life uh, without parole. And, you know, the interesting thing is he didn't oppose being locked up. He didn't offer a defence. He took his. Uh, he took his. Um, uh, uh, he, he's fired his his his, um, his defence lawyer, who only made one statement, which was that uh, he didn't, uh, you know, oppose uh, the court's actions. He didn't say anything at all uh, over the over the the course of, of this trial. So he's going to spend the rest of his life in New Zealand. He will die in New Zealand. But a lot of people in New Zealand want him sent back to Australia because they don't want New Zealand sullied with the idea that somebody from their country would have committed such a, um, such a, 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 bad, uh, a bad atrocity. So uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a completely, completely um, uh, expected outcome, to be honest. Now, within New Zealand itself, I mean, obviously, this greatly shocked the nation and the world in March. Uh, what's the fallout been? I mean, was that, uh, you know, was it a major security fail? You know, New Zealand is one of the more, more peaceable countries in the world when you think about it. And even though there is adequate security, nobody could have anticipated anything like this. And a lot of people think that this was the reason that this guy picked New Zealand, because it was a soft target. It was an easy target. Since then, things have tightened up. For instance, they've now imposed um, a, a, a ban on, on, on automatic guns, for instance. Um, they have... Um, that happened in, in, in two stages. So, uh, you know, it has changed New Zealand probably forever in many respects. New Zealand has lost the innocence that it, that it had, and it is because of this bloke who, uh, who decided to carry out this atrocity. Now, um, he, as I said, uh, this guy didn't oppose to being locked off for life. He's, he's just, you know, he's taking his medicine, as it were. But I think... What he's trying to do is to send a message to other potential terrorists um, that, you know, he's setting himself up as some sort of an icon uh, uh, for, for other would-be terrorists around the world. Uh, Australia correspondent Jerry Gannon talking to Anna-Marie Evans. A teenager has been charged with first-degree murder after two people were shot dead during violence in the city of Kenosha in the U.S. state of Wisconsin. The 17-year-old is from the neighbouring state of Illinois. President Trump has announced that federal officers will be sent to Kenosha to restore order after three nights of unrest.
It began when police shot and seriously injured a black man, Jacob Blake. The city's mayor, John Anteramian, has called for calm. There are a lot of very good people in this community, and what is happening to them is wrong. People have differences of opinion. We have different concepts of how things should be done. Those are all fine, but violence in the community is not acceptable. Violence to property, violence to people, absolutely unacceptable. Gunfire erupted during a clash between angry demonstrators and an alleged vigilante in Kenosha. The BBC's Alain McBool is in the Wisconsin city. Leave the area! Go home! Tensions on the streets here have increased dramatically and at times, with the sight of National Guard troops moving in formation, it's barely believable that these are scenes playing out in a small city in America's Midwest. And there's a new dimension to the chaos. As well as the confrontation between protesters and security forces, there are now also armed civilians on the streets saying they're protecting property from getting damaged. Ooh, he shot him. Mobile phone footage caught the moment one man with a rifle fired on protesters. Someone can be seen lying motionless on the ground as others run to help. In more video, another protester is gunned down by an armed man who's later seen walking with his hands up towards police as the security forces attempt to take back control. The way in which different Americans are viewing what's going on here is starkly polarised. Some see young people tired of police killings making their voice heard. Others just see wanton destruction. I mean, I understand protesting, peacefully protesting. That's fine. Go for it. Peacefully protest. But don't burn down buildings. Don't break windows and don't mess up other people's stuff. Looting, uh, burning, unfortunately, is part of it. How do you compare brick and mortar to life? But this did all start when 29-year-old Jacob Blake was shot in the back several times by police in front of his children. His family has called for calm, but there's no telling how much more dangerous things could now get. The former Bosnian Serb commander Ratko Mladic has launched a rambling attack on the court in The Hague where he was appealing against his life sentence for genocide. The 78-year-old general was convicted in 2017 over his role in the Bosnian War that followed the breakup of Yugoslavia. The conflict saw some of the worst mass killings on European soil since the Second World War, including the 1995 Srebrenica massacre of more than 8,000 Bosnian Muslim men and boys. The BBC's Anna Holligan reports. Well, he began by asking for more time, so he was allocated 10 minutes. He asked for 31 on the basis that he was an eyewitness, he said. Uh, before he even began to speak, though, as he stood up, his lawyer interjected and warned the judges uh, his client was on medication, he'd missed a dose, and he asked them to bear in mind his incapacity state, which may explain uh, some of the, the rambling that followed. Uh, he continued to, to criticise the prosecution lawyer. He directed his first comments at her, asking who is the leader, the president or this blonde lady who's been showering me with snaky devilish words. And after five minutes, the presiding judge uh, intervened, reminded him he was halfway through his time, at which point he was slightly slurred, but a bit more focused, so he switched to analysing some of the atrocities at the heart of this trial, Srebrenica, as you ma mentioned, the key to this trial, he acknowledged, and he spoke a little bit about the, the town's rich history, the fact it was supposed to be a UN-protected, demilitarised zone, uh, and then he talked about himself. He said... Um, 
I'm not a saint, Madam Judge. I'm a simple man. I said that many times during the war, fate put me in a position to defend my country. Uh, and as his time was running out, he uh, raised his voice, said, I am alive, I will live, and this indictment of yours has gone down the drain. Uh, and that was it. He spoke a little bit about the fact he said the other side hadn't been de-armed uh, for three kilometres around the demilitarised zones. Um, he also uh, sought to undermine the legitimacy of this court, uh, saying it was uh, a tool of Western justice. Um, but really, there was nothing unexpected. And the fact that he targeted a woman in the courtroom won't be a surprise to people who've been following this trial since it started almost a decade ago. He's uh, often targeted uh, women who are sitting in the public gallery, uh, mothers who lost their sons and husbands at Srebrenica, sought to try to intimidate them from behind the glass. This time he didn't have the chance to do that because public weren't allowed in because of the, the coronavirus restrictions. But that was his last chance, really, his last chance to bid for freedom. Now the judges will retire uh, and probably spring 2021 there will be a final judgment and they've got through this with all the restrictions because it's seen as being so important that they do deliver a verdict. Hurricane Laura has hit the southern coast of the United States bringing winds of up to 240 kilometres an hour and flash floods in Louisiana. More than half a million people in the state and in Texas have been told to leave their homes. Rick Rojas is a national correspondent for the New York Times. He's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He explains why this storm has been described as unsurvivable. It's its strength. It has really grown into just a beast of a storm with a storm surge that could approach as high as uh, 20 feet when it hits the coast with winds exceeding 140 miles per hour. And even here where people have uh, considerable familiarity with storms blowing in from the coast, I mean, this from the Gulf, this is something that's really uh, potentially calamitous. Most people are, 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 um, are fleeing. They're packing up. They're getting their houses in order. They're boarding up their windows. They're loading up sandbags, and they're trying to get out of town. Uh, and it's a matter of just getting out as quickly as they can because the storm is really barreling towards the coast now. And here in Baton Rouge, the, the weather has already turned. It, the wind has picked up, and it's been raining very heavily. And this is sort of on the periphery of the storm. So in the middle of it, like it, by this afternoon, it's going to be pretty tough. The landfall isn't expected to arrive until late tonight or even early tomorrow morning. So there's still hours of this. With the with the tail of the storm not even coming until later, at, probably after sunrise. So really, it's it's a long. It's going to be a long day. A new study suggests a platform of ice surrounding Antarctica, measuring more than nine hundred thousand square kilometers, is at risk of collapse. Apparently, the effects of climate change are threatening to destabilize it, raising sea levels around the world. Dr. Martin Waring from Edinburgh University took part in the study. We're talking about. Um the floating section of the Antarctic ice shell, ice sheets. This is the, the ice shelves that surround Antarctica, and um, they provide resistance to the flow of the grounded glaciers. So the glaciers flow off, off the ice into the ocean, and these ice shelves, these floating sections, they uh, reduce the, the rate of, uh, of sea level rise. This is the first time we've been able to quantify um, the extent of um, the vulnerable areas of ice shelves. Um, We've seen that over well 60% of the ice shelves are vulnerable, 
Um, we don't expect them to collapse uh, straight away, but this is a process we're, kind of, we're, we're starting to see, ha to see happening already. Previous studies have shown that uh, we can expect a meter of sea level rise by 2100. And as I said, we're starting to see this process already. So on the Antarctic Peninsula uh, in 2002, we, we saw the collapse of the, the last ice shelf um, from these processes where we're seeing meltwater forming on the surface of the ice shelf and then leading to this fracture process. Europeans, like many other people around the world, have very different attitudes to nudity or partial nudity in public places. Some Germans and people from Nordic nations seem to be more relaxed than others. Until now, French people would have been more likely to inhabit that laissez-faire group, but things are changing. A French government minister has intervened in a row about topless sunbathing, after a group of women were told to cover up by police. So is prudishness threatening French culture? The BBC's Charlotte Gallagher reports. Unthinkable in some parts of the world, women are allowed to sunbathe topless in many countries in Europe. In the 1960s, it was popularised by the legendary French actress Brigitte Bardot, who was seen topless on the beaches of the Côte d'Azur, a symbol of freedom and equality. The practice is widely accepted across France, so police telling women to cover their breasts has caused an outcry. The three women were on the beach at Saint-Marie-la-Mer near Perpignan when they were approached by officers. A family nearby had complained, saying they didn't want their children exposed to nudity. Politicians from across the spectrum have condemned the officers and their attempts to police what women wear. The French interior minister, Gérald Damanin, has defended the sunbathers, saying that freedom is a precious commodity, while the local council has confirmed that women are allowed to go topless there. The police force involved has apologised and said the officers had been clumsy in their attempts to appease people. Topless sunbathing may be allowed in France, but recent surveys show it's less common than it used to be. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Steve Danton from our newsroom. This is Dr Thomas Dung. To identify asymptomatic COVID-19 patients in the community for early isolation and treatment, the government is rolling out the Universal Community Testing Program, which offers a one-off free COVID-19 testing service for the public. Throat and nasal swabs will be collected for testing by trained healthcare staff. For the sake of your health and your family, please join this free testing program. Protect yourself and others. Join the Universal Community Testing Program. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to This is Nostalgia with Ray Cudero all the way until 1 a.m. The sound of Mantovani. None but the lonely heart.
is really nostalgia. None but the Lonely Heart. Played by Mantovani and his orchestra. Let's welcome opener from Jim Reeves. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do. Of all the 